the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. Brian's also waving. Did you wave? Am. Is that what that I was? I waving everybody. Hello. <laughs> that was a very fancy, Hello. like, British sort of... It, felt, it seemed like you were dismissing me out of your presence. You're like, like along with be, like, no, be gone, no. peasant. Is that be what you were doing? Out of here. I was waving. <laughs> be out of here. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, I can't explain what I just did there. Threw my hand up. You just had just a muscle spasm. Uh, Do you wave? Are you a waver? Is, I mean, I think I'm an appropriate waiver. If someone no, waves, I'm, or you I'm say not hello asking for an inappropriate. What would an inappropriate like, waver? Be? I don't know what makes somebody a waver versus not. Oh, some people are very, very adamant against waving. Oh, no, no, no. I'll wait. I'm good. <laughs> sometimes it's a thumbs up. Sometimes a wave. So here's a fun fact that's not really fun or a fact. Um, I have pretty terrible eyesight. That so is I'm, a fact. I'm pretty. Okay, that's true. Not fun. Not fun. <laughs> I, I'm really self-conscious about like who I do wave to. I'll often just kind of look at the ground because people have to be close for me to actually know. I don't think I have a they are. feel for how how extensive your eye issues are. <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, I like we don't have do. to talk extensively about it. It just is a legitimate anxiety that like, oh, gosh, because sometimes interesting like you wave usually to people you don't know all that well. But if it's like a buddy, yep. you probably wouldn't wave. You'd probably come in for a hug or something like yep. that. So because I'm anxious about is this a person that I know or don't know because I can't tell waving all of that stuff is so anxiety producing for me. It's I can't even believe I'm admitting it. It's not great. Well, you wave to people you don't like. Or you I don't like. ignore, so, do, or you've had tension with something like? ended well. Uh, yeah, I like, I like everybody. That's probably different for you, but really fast story. It's pastor's Please life. Do. Here, glimpse into the pastor's life. Oh, no. Here I we was, go. Uh, I was at Portillo's the other day yeah. with Scott, our our new, he's been our uh, like associate pastor for three months now. Yes. And uh, corner of my eye, I see somebody walking towards me. And you know that moment where you're like, I recognize this person, but I don't know where I recognize this person from? It was your enemy. It was somebody who left our church and like had this really weird, like was really inappropriately mad at me. Like, I don't even know where it came from. Like this person, I've given some people reason to be angry. This person wasn't one of them, (laughs) but like on the way out was like really mad at me. And it was her. And I was like, I was like, Hey, and she walked right by me. No way. I would never have the guts to do that. This person had the guts to do that. Boom. Okay. So other short story, if I may, this is. Not groundbreaking radio, but uh, because my eyes shake, one of the ways that I can focus them is I have to kind of look at an angle. I'm modeling it for you people. Interesting. Really, so I kind of look at an angle, and I remember um, it was the guy, it was the pastor, I'll just put it this way, that was removed from leadership at my last church. Okay. And I just become the pastor. And I walked into a local Starbucks, and he was sitting at the very back of the Starbucks, but I couldn't quite tell who it was. So to, to try and focus, I look like... Give him like a side eye to focus. So I make this side eye and then I realize, 
Oh, it's him. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> and I like scampered to the register and it was not not my not my proudest That's moment. That's awesome. Legitimately, That's I can't believe we just spent what three minutes, four minutes talking about Sometimes waving or not like waving. A glimpse into the pastor life. You Sometimes think so? you get blown off in Portillos. Okay, people should know though there is legitimate. If you see me and I don't give like an appropriate for you, yes, interaction. Yes, yes. That, that's a good point. If I see you and don't give appropriate interaction, I just probably don't like you. Uh, but, <laughs> but like even someone that I look at as often as you yep. from across the parking lot, it would be hard for me to tell that that's it was you. Fascinating. So I like I just opt to not yep. make eye contact, which is not yep. great. All right, so we got five minutes left. Uh, I just liked this headline: Billionaire says his wealth can't replace Jesus reiterates every human is broken. What's going on here? Yeah, it's this billionaire out of Singapore, Philip Chi Tat, has said living without Jesus and focusing on material things is a sad way to live. And I just think it's interesting. It's very biblical. Right. Uh, It's just interesting because he's a billionaire. Right. How many of us are like, uh, give me a billion and I'll take and my I'll chances. Decide, right? Right? I'll take my chances. <laughs> I'll take my chances. So it says the tycoon said he is an ardent Christian and prides himself in giving his life to Jesus. During an interview, Phillips also said all humans are broken and the peace that makes them whole is none other than Jesus. He said, I've discovered all of us are broken. We all have a missing piece. For me, I discovered the missing piece was God in Jesus Christ. Hmm. To Philip, the only way to achieve happiness and live a fulfilling life is through recognizing human search for the wrong things. A better life, he said, a better purpose, better me, and a better everything. I was looking at all the wrong things. Hmm. Uh, The wealthy developer said all his life, things did not make sense, but his life took a turn when he discovered the love of God. He said, it sure beats a lot of money and material things that you have. It starts with accepting you are broken and there is a missing piece. For me personally, that missing piece is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the crazy thing is this guy's a billionaire. Right. Like, try to get your mind around that. You ever, like... I can't. I'll tell you right now. I it's can't. A billion. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> and so um, I do think when a lot of us think about contentment and what would make us happy, we all know the Bible verses like contentment and happiness and joy are not found in money. But sometimes when you like read a billionaire, you're like, eh, I could probably do it. <laughs> and this guy's going, we're all broken. We all need Jesus, regardless of if you're poor or you are a billionaire. Right. He said, I can speak from experience. Uh, Jesus is what fulfills so biblical and and such a uh, just a, a great reminder from somebody who has more than just about anybody else has. So why is that refreshing? That's what I kind of want to ask you. Why do we like you said, this is stuff we've preached. We've heard people say since we were little kids. Why does it have extra gravity for us that he's a billionaire? Because it. I think deep down we all think, oh, maybe not we all, I think that if you have a billion dollars, it really is going to buy you a lot of happiness. Mm. Uh, and that's not what we learn, right? We have quote after quote after quote throughout history of people who were the richest, who are, who are miserable. Yes. I right. read them in my sermons, Carnegie and Rockefeller and all these people. Right. Uh, but in our, in my mind, when I hear a billion dollars, I'm like, man, I would do so much fun with that. That would be so awesome. Like it's one thing to preach that sermon to somebody who makes 50 grand, is trying to pay their rent whatever else, right? Like they got bills it, that becomes a little easier to understand where they're like, Nope, my contentment's in Christ, not in my money. Cause you're like, well, part of this is you don't have any money. Hmm. Uh, this guy's got more than I could ever even fathom. And he's going, no, no, what the Bible tells you about money and contentment is correct. I think it holds some gravity because he's got, uh, he's got the amount of money that we would think would buy you joy and happiness. And like we sure think it's got, at the other side of yeah. this kind of money that would be content. Yeah. And I'm sure he is, he's got stuff. I'm sure he's happy. His money has gotten him things that he enjoys, but he's saying that's not the point. And, uh, and I think that's, what's refreshing about it is to hear the words of somebody who actually has that amount of money going, Oh, okay. 
that that really adds some weight to what the Bible says. I uh, I wonder if it's akin. I remember even like when I was you know single in my college years, early twenties, yeah. hearing married pastors say marriage isn't going to make you content, mm. not believing them, because it was all yeah. like it's like all I longed for. You know, at twenty twenty one, I was like, I want to I want to be a husband. I want to be a dad. I remember really struggling to believe them. Like, well, it's easy for you to say yes. on the other side of this thing yep. that my heart longs for. Is there a little bit of that with you for this? Absolutely. Yeah. Like if I just, it's what you, we talked about last week. Everybody just needs a little bit more. It's that carrot hanging out there. Yeah, right. And in my mind, you're like, this guy can't want a little bit more. He's got more in interest than any of us could spend in a lifetime. <laughs> right. And yet he's going, I'm broken. There's a missing piece in my life. And that was only filled by Jesus. It's what we preach. It's the good news of the gospel. And, and he's like, he's got all that he could ever want. Right. And, and he's saying it's not enough. I, I just think there's added weight to it. Uh, it doesn't make contentment easier or harder for depending on money, but he's got the amount of money that a lot of us are going, yeah, I'll give that a try. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll give that happiness thing a try with a billion dollars. Right. And he's going, I've done it. See, and I've that's, done it already. And that's why it's I think. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, right? Totally. And wealth kind of lures us in because, yeah. you know, you talk to people that are, you know, have experienced great loss, and there is a it, there is a a sense that like when uh, you know when an addict hits rock bottom, yes, talk to them five years later, and they'll talk about that rock bottom being the best gift they ever received. Mm, it's hard, and that when we hear Jesus say things like, "It's actually very very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom because yeah. all of our security and purpose and identity can be wrapped up in this thing," yep. and Jesus wants to free us from that. And like you said, that's easier to do if you're like. Yes. I'm already broke. So what do I have to lose versus a billionaire? And I think that's why these stories resonate with me because yes. this is a guy by all metrics is at the top and has said, Hey, none of this did it for me. Absolutely. It's only I find that just incur- in a strange way, really, really encouraging. Yes, totally. Well, you've been listening to the common good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Ian and I have talked often about one of our favorite things about this job is the various people we get to meet. And um, we love when people come in studio and we just get to have a conversation. And that is the case right now as Nancy Beach joins us. Nancy, thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. Absolutely. And so uh, rather than read your bio, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you want people to know? Well, I grew up in Park Ridge, Illinois, and went to a great church. And by God's grace, I learned about his love when I was very young and uh, have been in the Chicago area pretty much uh, my whole life. Uh, I was a part of the group, the the youth group, actually, that started Willow Creek Community Church. Um, And I was in and out at the first few years because of college, but was pretty much there since the beginning. And had the joy and adventure of leading the arts ministry there, the worship mm. folks and technical team and video and drama and all of that. Wow. Um, later, I discovered that God had also entrusted me with a teaching gift. So I became a teaching pastor. And uh, eventually, after about 20 years uh, doing all of that, I shifted over to the Willow Creek Association. Oh, okay. Same campus, you know, right. lots of the same people. But uh, we were building a network uh, of equipping church leaders uh, around the world and uh, did all of that until I resigned in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, I've done a variety of things, but currently I'm a leadership coach. I work with church leaders and parachurch organizations as well through the Slingshot Group, mm-hmm. um, group based in uh, Southern California. 
and I still teach and speak awesome. at various places. Awesome. I feel like most of the time when we have guests tell us what they've done, I always feel so under accomplished. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness gracious, that's amazing. You also but are I'm like an author, twice though. your age. Yeah. Too, so. <laughs> had a little more time. That's all we need. All we need is time. Oh, yeah, I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate you appeasing my ego. That's very helpful. Okay, so but you're also an author. You've written two books, is that right? Yes. Can you um, tell us about those a little bit? I have only written two because that's all I have to say, basically. <laughs> I um, so appreciate that, though. They've been around a while. Um, one of them is really about uh, the Sunday morning experience in churches. It's called An Hour on Sunday. Mm. Sort of the core values that I think, un- no matter what kind of church you're a part of, uh, need to undergird that experience. And then the second one is called uh, Gifted to Lead, The Art of Leading as a Woman in the Church, mm. Uh, based on my experience at, of at first being the only woman at the table often mm. um, and navigating that. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know why we're surprised, mm-hmm. um, but many of us have experienced church pain yeah. um, to varying degrees, of right. course. Um, but somehow we're always astonished. And then when I pull back a little bit and think about, okay, a church is full of sinners like me. Yeah. And uh, we often don't get it right. And I don't know why we're we're so shocked. Um, but working through church pain uh, is extremely difficult. And sadly, a lot of people lose their faith in the process. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Julie's vision and those who've put this conference together are basically hoping to give a dose of encouragement, mm. um, perspective, um, help all of us understand the fact that, you know, the church, the local church is still God's plan A. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, for reconciling the world to himself. Yes, I right. often look at him, honestly, and say, what was your plan B? Uh, yeah, yes. right. <laughs> now would be the time. I'm really <laughs> messing this up. <laughs> Big time. Um, but it is his plan A. And I also, I was doing some reading recently where a former pastor said, you know, often we want to say, well, the church has disappointed me so much that I am just going to have my personal relationship with God right. and avoid the church. Right. And that's tempting. I, I get that, yes. especially now when you can do podcasts and, you know, right. kind of worship in your living room or whatever. Um, but I don't believe that's what God intended. Yeah. And in spite of the messiness, um, I think the way we're transformed is being a part of a community, yeah. even one that isn't perfect. I've been a part of probably four main churches in my life. None of them were perfect. Right. Um, and I have given up the illusion, mm. you know, of that. Yeah, that's actually just what we were preaching about over the weekend. I think it was. Spurgeon, who said the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. This idea that like, I'll just do it me at a coffee shop or me in my living room, which is sometimes great. Like go and do that. (laughs) You're under the weather, stay at home. That's, that's totally fine. I'm, I'm curious because I know that an event like this is certainly going to be life giving to so many people. Brian and I as pastors interact with people all the time that will never go to a conference like this. They're Mm -hmm. maybe listening now saying they're pointing to different failings and different heartache and say, that's exactly why I left the church. That's why I want mm-hmm. nothing to do with it. Could you speak a little bit to someone who's, who's maybe at a place where they've abandoned ship and they're not interested in restoration. They're not interested in like dipping a toe back in the waters. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that person who's like, it's a miracle they're, they're listening to do pastors talk on the radio in the first place because mm-hmm. their damage or their hurt is so real and so visceral. They're like, I- I'm just done. Well, first I would say, um, your pain is real and yeah. I, I'm sorry for any ways the church has hurt you, mm. um, disappointed you yeah. way leaders like me have, have not done it right all the time. Mm. So yeah. that, that is, that is reality. However, um, if I have a favorite Bible verse, it's probably uh, Proverbs four twenty three. It starts with three attention getting words above all else, mm. you know, above all else, guard your heart. 
Uh, one version says for everything you do flows from it. Another yeah. one says it's the wellspring of life. Um, but I believe that the evil one uh, intends and is quite successful mm. at leading us toward a path of cynicism, yeah. um, hardening our heart, um, and and really getting quite sarcastic, um, speaking ill of others, all of that junk. And if we're going to guard our heart, we're going to have to make a different choice. Yeah, that's we have good. to say, God, how can I uh, not just survive church pain, but learn from it? Uh, what do I need to learn? What do I need to own? What do I need to forgive? Right. And how can I move forward in a way that my heart will stay healthy and sensitive and tender towards you? That's yeah. really good. That is, there's so many people out there that we talk to. I'm curious, you work with Slingshot Group. Uh, do you come across a lot of leaders and pastors who are struggling with church pain? And is it the same process that you walk them hmm. through? I absolutely do. And what I've learned is that um, the pastoral calling, particularly the senior pastor role, mm-hmm. um, is a lonely calling. Yeah. Um, Paul David Tripp, a former Lutheran pastor, calls it a dangerous calling, mm-hmm. which it is because while we're all capable of sin, I think the um, role of a pastor and the way we tend to elevate that person, right. um, even in small churches, it doesn't yeah. matter what size the church, right. um, isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. And he lists certain sins that it can uh, lead to if we're not careful, yeah. um, including uh, a sense of entitlement. Uh-huh. Uh, a sense of narcissism, a sense of uh, I'm the exception yeah. uh, to certain things, and also a sense of no one really gets how hard this is. Mm. And that's probably true. I yeah. mean, a lot of people, that's where the, some of the loneliness comes from. But then we have a choice to make, and we either lean into community and truth-telling and support, mm. or we make another choice and say, I've got to escape from yeah, this right, somehow. Right. And it starts in small ways and there's a myriad of choices of escape <laughs> right, <laughs> ways yeah. that we can do that. Um, but that's what I come across a lot with leaders. Often I'll say to a senior pastor in particular, but any senior leader, um, who's your closest friend outside of your spouse? Yeah. Mm. And many of them will pause. Some will say, well, I had a college buddy, but he lives halfway across the country. Yeah. We talk a couple times a year or whatever. They don't have a good answer to that question. Right. And I find that very, very sad. Absolutely. And when we talk about accountability, which is a great word, but doesn't exist in a lot of right. churches, um, I, I think that we have a lot of work to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are so grateful that you're here. And Nancy is going to remain with us after the break. We'll continue this conversation here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to continue to be joined by Nancy Beach in studio. Uh, This concept about church pain, and thank you so much for being here, but also all the things you shared. If people didn't hear that, please go listen to the podcast to the first segment here. Um, You know, and I don't want you share whatever you want, but um, having been at Willow Creek for so long and it being in the news and there being so much pain around that, I'm curious your own personal journey of keeping the faith in the church. Like part of me thinks, you know, someone like you, I'd be like, well, I'm, I, you would be a candidate for like, I'm done with the church. Right. And so I'd love to know just your own personal walking through the pain that the church could cause. Well, uh, I had no concept and it's probably a good thing that I didn't, <laughs> what I was getting myself into. Mm. Um, I've been a part of a process for, that's going back four to five years now 
Um, but eventually, in a more public way, adding my voice to the voices of some other people, yeah. calling out uh, the abuse of power and sexual abuse of our pastor. And uh, initially, that was all very private, and we were mm-hmm. trying to do a process with the elders of the church to do an investigation. Um, as most people in the Chicago area at least know, um, eventually uh, that hit a dead end. Yeah. And we had a choice to make. And it's a choice that's been very controversial. A lot of people have disagreed with. We either had to bury it um, or we had to go to the press and find some some way to have this information come out. Uh, That was a very prayerful, um, exceedingly difficult decision. Mm. One that we did not take uh, lightly at all. And initially, uh, in the, with the Chicago Tribune, um, my husband and I had decided that I would add my story without my name. That was my mm. initial plan. And uh, eventually, several of the other women didn't want their name in it. And there were going to be any names. It was going to be so confusing, you <laughs> yeah, know, right. woman A and, you know, all of this. And mm. uh, the writers asked me to reconsider. And we prayed again. And it was really my husband, um, Warren, who's a remarkable man, mm-hmm. who said to me, uh, honey, it's your decision, but I think um, adding your name might might matter here. Mm. And so I uh, took a deep breath and decided to allow that. Um, I expected um, criticism and all of that, not to the degree that it happened. Wow. We were actually down in Florida when the article broke, and my phone was blowing up. It happened to be my birthday, which oh. is lo- lovely. But wow. anyway, um, finally, I just uh, said to my husband, "Let's go take a walk on the beach." I don't know, I don't know what's happening here, and I, I'm terrified, really. Oh. Um, you know, was it Peter? I forget. I think it was Peter who said, um, "But where else shall we go?" Right. You know, I never considered leaving my faith. That mm. that never crossed my mind um jesus has been close to me my whole my whole life and Mm. i thought um i am not gonna make it without without god's presence so that was never a thought um and i wasn't a part of willow creek at that time and so i wasn't about to leave that church um but i will admit that there's moments where i thought you know what if this ever happened again? You feel so vulnerable and you feel so disappointed. Right. Um, but I began to lean into community. Um, I do have a community uh, around me who've been very, very supportive, and I also uh, journaled a lot. And I mm. and I got to the bottom of saying, you know, I think I just have to keep asking God, what is the next right step? Right. Yeah. And I have to pray like crazy to avoid sins of pride of mm. thinking that. Um, you know, there's bad guys and good guys in this story and, and clinging tightly to my narrative and my, you know, my version of events. Um, it's just been such a growth experience and, you know, people always say pain leads to growth. It doesn't always lead to growth. It only leads to growth when we cooperate, you know, Um, uh, and, uh, I have grown more in the last few years, um, than in a very long time. Wow. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, let me first just say thank you mm-hmm. for your story. Thank you for entrusting us on the show with the story, for putting your name in the mix just as a pastor, as a husband and a father. I'm just so moved by your story and testimony and your courage. And I know that it's not done yet either. I'm fully aware of that. And I, I'm I'm curious, 
what you think, how common this actually is, like across the United States, across the globe, how, how many stories are still in the shadows for fear of all the things that you just listed, very real, present, visceral fears. Um, and how, how can we find a way forward in this? Well, Ian, I don't know statistically. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know, you know, we all know from stories, um, but I will say this. Um, it is not only, I think one of the things that gets underexposed or underreported is not just situations of sexual sin, but even more the abuse of power. Right. And that's what I see in, in many, many places, which of course affects men and women uh, in churches. And part of it is our contribution to that mm. because we have in the last several decades, I think, contributed to sort of a celebrity culture right. yep. that holds up, again, pastors of any size church as sort of other than, and uh, that is part of the issue. Um, but I also think we have to learn what does it mean to hold someone truly accountable for yes. a board of elders or right. a board of directors. Um, I had a great conversation with a friend who's a pastor in Canada, and it's a large church, and he was telling me, I mean, they've been very sobered by all of these events, and yeah. he's had conversations with his board. And one of the things they said to him is, um, you know, Pastor, you are our spiritual father in many ways. This is a church where many people came to faith at that church mm. or at least have been discipled, you know, by this pastor. And they said, so hypothetically, if we see something in your life, how do you call something out on mm. your spiritual father? Wow. You know, when you think about it, I have great empathy for elders and for volunteers who are stepping into this yes. role and they've been entrusted with this huge responsibility. And yet, um, how do you even have a category for your pastor maybe not telling you the truth? Right, right. Or for hidden secret parts of the pastor's yeah. life that you don't know about. So I think this is an enormous issue. I think every church needs to take a look at their leadership structure, but even more at, at just the heart behind it and say, um, let's prepare in advance. Yes. And let's support our pastors in such a way that their sense of loneliness or lack of support or anything else um, won't drive them to these kinds of escape. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So good. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, Nancy's going to join us for one more segment. We're uh, so grateful that you're here. Uh, we're going to talk more about this, the, the church and restoring faith and um, surviving uh, church pain coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined for a third segment by Nancy Beach. If you've missed any of our conversation with Nancy, you need to go back and listen to it. You can do that at 1160hope.com or on our podcast, wherever uh, it is you get your podcasts. Okay, so earlier you'd mentioned that you'd written two books, and I'm going to begin today interceding on your behalf for a third. Eventually, <laughs> just cards on the table. I think the world needs it. But the one, the most recent book, uh, Gifted to Lead the Art of Leading as a Woman in the Church, is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart and something that we've tried to tackle on this show. Again, recognizing as two white male pastors, there's all sorts of blind spots. Um, but I'm curious, one, what was kind of the origins of that book in the first place? Two, uh, what can we learn from what you learned in writing that book? Because I think it's a conversation we we need to continue having, particularly at the local church level. Well, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, uh, we read to know that we're not alone. Mm. Uh, I may be wrong about who said that, but I think that was him. And 
And I wrote the book mostly because I was coming across so many women with leadership gifts in the church who felt incredibly alone Mm -hmm. and uh, not understood or welcomed uh, with their gifts. And I tell the story in that book of when I was a little girl, uh, I started to, I didn't even know the word leadership, but that was starting to become evident Mm. in me at school and uh, clubs and various things. And um, I was going to church and I never saw a woman up front at church other than the soloist uh, in the choir. Um, Women could be deaconesses. And at my church, that meant seriously um, hospitality. They did food for funerals and stuff like that. Mm. My dad was a deacon, but women could be a deaconess. And I understand that there's different views about leadership in the church. But Mm. as a little girl, I remember asking this question. When the gifts were distributed in heaven, was there a mistake made Mm. that I was given a gift of leadership? Like, whoops, that's a girl baby. Don't, you know, don't give her that gift. Because I couldn't reconcile. I thought the only place I'm going to be able to use this is out in the world. Mm. I, I can't. I had no imagination Mm. for being able to lead in the church. And so uh, these days I coach a lot of women church leaders and some of them are at churches that have a very conservative view on, on this theologically. And some of them are at a more egalitarian church, but wherever they may be planted, uh, what I want to equip men and women to do is to figure out how to lead well together Mm. Um, without sin um, with mutual respect, treating one another with honor and dignity. Yeah. And it's not impossible. And I actually have seen it and experienced it. The team that I got to lead um, for over 20 years, men and women, are still the closest of friends and wow. still family. And we do life together, even though we're not working together any longer. And I believe that in, in this Me Too era that we're in, my deep concern is that a pendulum is going to swing even wider and say, see, that's what happens when you have women in leadership. So Mm. to avoid that, we're going to make it even harder. And we're going to have 20 more rules of how you can't be in the same elevator or at the same table or whatever, instead of focusing where I think the focus needs to be, which is on spiritual formation, Mm. to be so filled with the Spirit of God that it would be unthinkable for you to treat anyone with less than respect and love. And to be, uh, when Paul uses the term brothers and sisters, he does that very intentionally. Yes. And it's a beautiful term that we can be brothers and sisters in Christ. That's right. Thank you for that. So again, you're going to be at a conference that's restoring faith in God and the church, speaking on surviving church pain. I guess with with the rest of our time, what I want to know is, uh, are you hopeful for the church? When you look out at the, especially the American church, as you look at the landscape, are you hopeful? I'm very hopeful. Now, I'm a positive person by nature. (laughs) I probably should put that in there. But um, my husband and I are part of a new young church uh, down in the city in Chicago. And uh, often every week when we leave, he'll say, we're the oldest people there. uh, It's a very hip church. We kind of of are the oldest people there. Um, But I have such great hope because I still see uh, transformation happening. And I see young people uh, who... I'm going to generalize right now, but I think the younger generation have a humility and an openness Mm. to learning from the older generation that my generation did not display. Mm. At least the group I was a part of, I think we were pretty arrogant and thought our parents didn't know anything, you know. And what I'm finding from the younger people is a longing um, for someone to who's who's been around a while to walk with them and to encourage them. I'm, I'm really inspired by that. 
And I believe um, that the church is still um, the one place where people are going to uncover God's grace and where we can experience when you've tasted community, Mm -hmm. um, when you've hit, when you've had uh, someone in the hospital and people show up, right. You know, when you stand side by side, I'm not a singer really, but when you stand side by side with all different kinds of people Mm -hmm. and together you are declaring truths about God and your worship, um, there is nothing like that. There is nothing like the church. And so while it's broken and messy and, all of us sinners are often uh, making a mess of it. I, I have great, great hope for That's the church. Great. That's so encouraging. I want to get really practical then because I imagine there are plenty of people listening that all the gears are turning now for them. They're hearing things they've never heard or maybe they felt but never heard anyone else say before. You mentioned that you read a lot. Like, Are there books or authors or websites or places you would point people if anything in the last bit has resonated with them that you would point them toward. And if you're listening, this is like the time to go get the pen right now to go right down <laughs> when she's about to say, right, right. right. But uh, yeah, where would, where would you point people? They're like, okay, this is like the tip of the iceberg. I want to learn more. Well, it depends what learn more about what. That's true. Um, anything. So, we <laughs> okay. So there's uh, a new book um, by a young uh, woman leader, Katie Cole, uh, C O L E. Of course, I don't remember the title, but it has something to do with find her uh, leading in the church, um, which I which I would recommend. Um, I I'm I read so widely. I'm really kind of stuck on that question. Um, sorry, I, that's okay. I don't know. Um, I do believe, though. Oh, I, I there's some books about church pain. There's one um, called Surviving Church Pain mm. that I've been rereading lately. And so, if you're a person who's been broken. Um, I think Google anything about church pain and there's uh, also um, a sense of uh, longing that Rachel Held Evans wrote in her book, Searching for Sunday. And here's a young person who grew up in the church and then left the church and sadly passed away last year. But her book, I think, um, expresses to me, no matter what age you are, just this sense that's broken as it is, we find our way back. And she mm. was able to able to do that. That's really good. That's great. Well, Nancy, thank you. Uh, this has been wonderful. We hope you'll come back sometime again. We're excited to be at the Lyft Conference. We'll both be there. That's right. Uh, they might even hand us a microphone. We might get to introduce you on that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, thanks, both of you. Yeah, we're excited. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality was just their heart to give back to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously to be wise with money and live generously and that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them and so if you're interested in learning more I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common our common hopes our common fears our common struggles 
Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Friday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. You can find our podcast uh, wherever it is uh, you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review, and uh, that helps us. And uh, we're thankful for all of you uh, that do listen to the podcast. I'm super excited that coming up in about 20 minutes or so, we can talk to Phil Vischer. Ooh, can't for wait. a while, man, that guy. I'm ready. I'm excited for that. So... Uh, there's been a lot over the news as of late uh, about the 16-year-old girl, uh, Greta. We're we going with Thunberg? Thunberg? Thunberg. T-H-U-N-B-E-R-G. Uh, and she is the young climate activist uh, who's been lot- making lots of speeches. She's become kind of the face, mm-hmm. um, especially of the next generation, of uh, kind of the fears about climate change and kind of the push uh, towards what this article in Newsweek calls global climate justice movement. She's uh, a Swedish climate activist at the age of 16. And so uh, she gave an impassioned speech the other day. Uh, we want you to hear about a minute or so of that. And then uh, also we're going to talk about just some of the reaction to it. So once you hit that. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet, you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? And so she's been giving lots of speeches and getting lots of uh, lots of uh, acclaims, not the word, lots of uh, support from yeah. people and uh, thankful for what she's doing. But then there's the other side of people who don't agree with her. Uh, that's made a little bit of this uncomfortable. Do you attack or not attack a 16-year-old who's out there and uh, some various other things? The answer so, is not attack. So that's... let's hear uh, Robert, Pastor Robert Jeffers out of uh, Dallas, I believe. Uh, yeah, from First Baptist Church in Dallas. Listen to this. And look, you know, this uh, Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old, she was warning today about the mass extinction of humanity. Somebody needs to read poor Greta, Genesis chapter 9, and tell her next time she worries about global warming, just look at a rainbow. That's God's promise that the polar ice caps aren't going to melt and flood the world again. And so this has turned into a political debate uh, around climate change. Uh, that is now uh, there's lot you know been lots of uh, what was that march there was some marches last week that were huge and uh, this feels like it's ramping up feels like it's ramping up even more especially in in heading into the presidential election uh, wondering there's so many different parts of this story that I want to talk about but wondering your thoughts about uh, just her message her message in general yeah uh, I think it's actually. Pretty inspiring that someone that young is, I mean, she started off as this like solitary protester, the silent protester that has now 
garnered, you know, millions and millions of supporters. And I think in a, in a lot of ways is having conversations that at the very least should be happening. And I don't think it's unique that young people are at the helm of this. I feel like every time that there is some kind of movement, there is some sense of press that's like, ow, we should be listening to a 16-year-old. And I think she would agree. I think she said in another interview, she's like, I'm not even asking you to listen to me. I'm asking you to look at the science or to look at these studies or look at this research. You know, I think young people being at the helm of these things is actually pretty consistent with the way a lot of movements throughout history have gone. Uh, and so you're okay. You're, you, uh, you're good with it being a 16 year old. I think you're right. Uh, that there are, have been lots of movements through the years. There's something that makes me uncomfortable with it though. And this is what I've been trying to get it. I've been trying to get at it in my head, knowing we're going to talk about it. You know, you and I always joke that we don't know what we're going to say when we stand in front of the microphones. I feel like you mostly say Yeah. <laughs> I, there's something about it as you read about her background a little bit and, just kind of being the face of things. And as a dad who has a 16 year old, like I do, or about to be 16, I don't know. There's something that makes me uncomfortable about it. And maybe it shouldn't, maybe you're right. Like, you know, that often kids are at the front of this movement. I don't know why I feel differently about this one. And maybe I shouldn't, maybe it's like the first time it's happened where like I have a kid the same age and it's something about it makes me uncomfortable. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if that's just my own issues. It's very possible. That is my own issues. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she has spoken a lot about, well, let's, let's go to Robert Jeffers stuff then. What are your thoughts? Uh, uh, I guess you got to dive right into what he said about the rainbow and the flood. I think that was done to make a point. But what do you think about what Jeffers said? Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't think that's great theology, to be yeah. honest. I think to say that, to say that the rainbow is our promise that let's just assume, let's just say that. Greta is 100% accurate and all the stuff she's saying, which she probably isn't. But let's just say, let's just say she is. Would it, would it be good theology to say, well, it doesn't apparently matter what we do to the earth because um, we have the rainbow from Noah. <laughs> so that repercussion, at least uh, in particular, where we're protected from, we're immune from any damage to the polarized caps because this story in the old Testament. Yeah, no, that, that feels like bad theology. I think not just feels like bad theology. It is bad hermeneutics. Uh, But I would also say, and you threw it in there, you said, and what she's probably saying, isn't uh, whatever you said, like completely true or whatever else, not, uh, not on purpose. I think that's what I struggle with so much. And I've got a buddy that actually, he's a scholar around some climate stuff that I'd love to have on sometime. But I think that's, what's bothering me. It feels like the, the, the rhetoric on both sides has gotten so extreme that it's like, man, I don't, I feel like we're losing the possibility of having an actual conversation around this. Like mm. the, her standing up now, other people parroting it saying the world's about to end. Like there's not going to be a world here for the next generation. I just don't think that's true from the things I've read, but also going, Oh, God gave us a rainbow so we can do whatever we want with the world also feels bad to me. And, and it's one of these conversations that I'm having trouble even knowing what I'm what to think about climate yeah. change. And that's, what's so difficult. I, it bothers me that, the earth and climate change has become so partisan. I understand why it is because on one side, they're like, we got to you know, change everything we do. And the other side's like, no, we don't. And it becomes a partisan thing, but it's becoming difficult to navigate even what to think about it. And I don't, 
I, uh, Jeffers' comment here, and quite frankly, some of her rhetoric, I'm not sure is helpful. I think it inflames it on both sides and keeps things moving well, uh, in opposite directions. I, and you said it. I don't think it's a partisan issue. I think it's a moral issue. And I think, you know, and it's unfortunate to me that often Christians are the least likely to be seen as people who actually care for the earth yep. in general. Whether or not you buy her arguments or the, you know, the rhetoric du jour, I think it's unfortunate that we see care for the earth as a peripheral issue for Christ followers when it seems like, like I, there's even some good scholarly suggestions that like, you know, John three sixteen, the most popular verse in the world, God so loved the world. The word world there might be better translated land. God so mm-hmm. loved the land, the earth. There is something deeply sacred and connected to how we do or don't care for the planet that we've been entrusted to steward. And this idea that like, well, either way, we got the rainbow. Either way, <laughs> we're safe. It's like, well, yeah. Okay, let's even say if that's true that, that they're not actually melting. We're still responsible to steward the resources that we're given well because it's connected. It's it's central to incarnational theology that he came to earth. That has meaning. That has value to it. It's not just, well, this is just an incubator for our eternal place. I think that's where it comes from. When we pray yep. for heaven to come to earth, that we're making a declaration about earth's value and when we, I think, treat it as disposable, I think it's a much deeper spiritual issue than we recognize. I think that's a really good way to put a bow on this and wrap this up, because uh, I do think the church, I think it goes back to the escape and escapism that we talked about earlier, right? Like, just to, we're going to leave here anyway, which I'm not sure is good theology. We're just going to leave here so we don't have to worry about this earth. We can do whatever we want with it, uh, I think is dangerous, and the church needs to have some conversations about that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, coming up next, we are going to get to talk to Phil Vischer. Woo! This is something you and I have been wanting to do. I can Waiting to wait. do. Uh, he's going to be in here uh, on the phone for two segments uh, to talk about various other th- uh, different things. You're going to want to stay here and listen to that. Coming up next, Phil Vischer here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Are you, are you okay there? Yes, yeah, I am. I, I know the name of our show, let me tell you. My goodness. Uh, that voice you hear mocking me is Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you joining us today. Uh, and we're thrilled to be joined on the phone right now uh, by Phil Vischer. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad I could be here. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. You, uh, you out there, you might know Phil as the creator of of Veggie Tales, but what we want to talk to Phil about today uh, is the debut of his lifelong passion project. It says here, a kid's Bible uh, for a new generation called the Laugh and Learn Bible uh, for Kids. So let's start there. Um, it, it speaks here about this being a passion of yours. Uh, t- talk to us a little bit about your passion behind this kid's Bible and why you uh, so desperately wanted to create it. Yeah, so I uh, I wrote Veggie Tales for about ten years, uh, most of the episodes of Veggie Tales, and after that, I felt like God wanted me to take kids deeper into the Bible because you can only go so deep in theology with happy, bouncy, talking vegetables. <laughs> but I, need to, I think I need to go a little deeper now. Let's see what that goes like. Um, and so I did a series, a video series called "What's in the Bible" that walked kids all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and, and tried to answer big questions about the Bible and kind of give them an overview of the whole arc of Scripture. And whenever you teach something, especially if you teach it to kids, you find out if you really know it. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. And so I ended up learning so much about the Bible by attempting to teach the entire thing to kids in this video series. That, that we started talking after that, that we should 
try to put that into an actual kid's storybook Bible so that kids could, you know, carry around something in their hands and sit down with their parents before bedtime or after dinner, you know, and read a story from the Bible, but also get the big picture of the Bible. Right. And that's really what, what motivates me is that quite often, you know, if kids go to Sunday school or if they pick up books, you know, on Bible stories, they get these individual slices of the Bible. Yeah. You know, they get a story here and a story there and a story here, and there's Noah's Ark with animals, and there's <laughs> Daniel in the lion's den with animals, and there's Jesus with a sheep. You know, all these animal <laughs> stories. <laughs> right, right. Animals. And, and always animals. <laughs> always with the animals. Uh, Jonah and the whale, another big one with an animal. For some reason, Balaam's donkey never makes it, <laughs> and I can't figure out why. So that's in your Bible? That is... <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but what, what kids are missing is, is the connective tissue that mm. strings all these stories into one big story. So the Bible turns into like a photo album yeah. of snapshots rather than an actual movie of the story of God and what he's done for us. And so what I've been trying to do both with what's in the Bible and now with the Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids is string all these stories together to show that it tells one big story and then help kids find their own place inside that story so they can be a part of it. I feel like I need to read this Bible. Yes. Like that's so. Uh, many of you should know if you don't already that Phil also hosts a brilliant podcast called The Holy Post, and I think I think I remember hearing you talk about this and even some of the skittishness around. Like, can I create a Bible? Is there extra pressure when you like add the word Bible to something? Like, have you received any pushback from that uh, yeah, at all? Yeah, I, I actually I, I pushed back. I <laughs> People would bring it up. Like, let's do a VeggieTales Bible. And I just thought, oh, no, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. Um, but this this works much better because it's not vegetables. You're not, you're right, not yeah, right. again, one of our one of our VeggieTales rules from day one was we will not portray Jesus as a vegetable. Right, uh-huh. right. And that would have made a VeggieTales Bible very, very difficult yeah. to do. So this is, you know, human art uh, representations of Bible characters, and it works out much better. So I'm, I'm happy that uh, it took this long to get around to it, because I'm also more mature. You know, I started <laughs> writing VeggieTales when I was 25, and wow. now I'm 53. So more than half of my life has gone by since I started writing VeggieTales. And uh, if you're walking with Jesus that long, you're going to grow at least a little bit. Yeah. And when you sit down to write something deeper, you've got more depth to draw on. Yeah, yeah. So Ian made a joke about saying that he needs to read this Bible. Um, one of the things we found at our church is sometimes with the newest believers, the best introduction is like with a children's Bible that we trust. Do you have yes. that? Could you see that being used in this way too for people really young in the faith, oh, yes. people who don't grasp that? Are you yeah, hearing I, that? We saw that with Veggie Tales. I also saw that with the What's in the Bible series, that adult small groups were going through my What's in the Bible series of videos, which are wow. designed for children and have puppets and animation in them. <laughs> um, if you, first of all, if you give, you know, go to a nine-year-old and say, hey, congratulations, you're nine now, here's a full-text NIV or King James right. or ESV study Bible, you know, good luck. Have fun. <laughs> There's some weird <laughs> stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm partly joking, but partly not. They're going to die in the desert just like the Israelites. Right. They're going to make it to Leviticus, <laughs> and then they're just going to die. <laughs> so, so we need to somehow tell the story of the Bible in a way that they can 
access that they can get through it, that they can survive to get to the end. Right. And then when they get to a full text Bible later on, you know, and they open up to the Psalms or they open up to the Gospels, they know where they are yeah. in the story because they've already gone through the story. And that is true of parents, too, <laughs> because we make a mistake in church sometimes when we say, hey, young parents, you need to be discipling your kids right. without ever asking, uh, wait a minute, did anyone disciple you? Mm. You can't ask parents to teach their kids how to ride a bike if no one taught the parents how to right. ride a bike. Yeah. So yeah. what I try to do with my resources is let's learn this together as a family. You know, parents, you don't have to say, I didn't know this stuff. Or you can say, you can confess to your spouse right. that you didn't know this stuff. <laughs> you don't have to confess to your kids. But when a family learns something together, whether it's by reading a book or watching a video, they can reinforce it for each other. Yeah. You know, the parents can reinforce it for their kids, and the kids can reinforce it for their parents, and everybody learns, and it becomes foundational to the whole family. I love that. All right, so I had a mentor when I was young, when I first started off preaching, and he said, uh, until you can describe your sermon in 30 seconds to an eight-year-old, you're not done writing it yet. And that lesson so stood out to me. And you mentioned it earlier that yeah. like in writing this for children, you yourself actually learned a bunch. Can you talk us a little bit about what was that experience like learning to write this for the audience of a child? Like what was that like just as a writer, as a creative, like what did you learn about yourself or the process in doing that? Yeah, I, I'm able to do that. And I'm not sure why I have easy access to uh, myself as like a second grader. <laughs> That's <laughs> a gift. That's good. Girl. Yeah, I guess so, because whenever, so I'll, I'll, I'll pull out, you know, a, a big study Bible, and I'll pull out commentaries, and I'll, I'll talk to friends of mine that are Old Testament and New Testament scholars and ask them questions and then kind of collect their answers, and now think, now how would I explain that to second grade Phil? Mm. And so I'll try, and then I'll read it, and second grade Phil will say, that didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> you know, this word, I don't understand this word, I didn't understand that word, this Christian-y phrase that you threw out at me, I've right. heard it in church, but no one's ever defined it, so I have no idea, you know, what washed in the blood means. Yeah. That sounds hideous. <laughs> so I'm able to say, okay, second grade Phil, what do I need to change about this? And second grade Phil says, everything, just start over, do it again. And then I oh, that's so good. He says it's okay. Yeah. So I read a quote here from you. You said, after all, we know kids love big, exciting, redemptive stories. That's why superheroes, Star Wars and Harry Potter are so popular. Uh, I love that. And so often we don't at all use the Bible that way with kids. Was that kind of a driving factor for you here to help them see it kind of on a grand scale like Harry Potter or like Star Wars? Yes, yes. If you you can't see the big picture that the Bible is telling, this big story— Um, it's too easy to, to turn the Bible into just a book of rules right. you know, or a, bo- a book of tips. You know, here's how to have a better marriage. Here's how to manage your finances, according to the Bible. And that's so uninspiring yeah, to right. turn the Bible into tips and rules. So no wonder kids are turning to Harry Potter and they're mm. turning to Star Wars and they're tur- they just want to be part of a big story. Hmm. Uh, more than 2,000 weddings a year happen on Disney property. Wow. Okay, that's, that's like almost six weddings a day wow. happen on Disney property. And now <laughs> you can actually buy a wedding dress to match your favorite Disney princess. And of you course. can outfit all of your bridesmaids <laughs> as Disney princesses and get have your wedding with Cinderella's castle in the background. 
And it's not because we're failing to grow up. It's that because we're growing up in a world that tells us there's no big story anymore Mm. that you can be a part of. So we're looking for fictitious stories to be a part of because we can't stand the idea that there's nothing behind the curtain, that there's no magic in the universe. So the Bible is the original story that explains the magic in the universe, you know, that, that, that there's someone behind the curtain that loves us. And when we and we fail to tell that story in a way that inspires kids, we shouldn't be surprised when they run off to other stories. Oh, that's so good. Uh, you're listening to Phil Vischer joining us. He is uh, talking to us about the new Bible he's uh, just put out called Laugh and Learn Bible uh, for Kids. Uh, we are very excited. Phil is going to stay with us for another segment because we have all sorts of things to ask him. So that's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I'm so there you go. Welcome back to the Common Good did on he, AM 11. Did he run that by us first? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> surprise. Oh, my goodness. Oh, alongside Ian Simpkins, Boy. my name is Brian Brown. <laughs> and that, that surprised voice you hear there is also Phil Vischer. Uh, <laughs> Phil is joining us on the phone today. Uh, if you missed the first segment with Phil, make sure to go listen to the podcast as we talked about his laugh and learn Bible for kids. Um, but Phil, uh, I could tell you that there was a lot of excitement in my house uh, when when we read, not just with my kids, but also with my wife and I, when we heard that VeggieTales is relaunching. Uh, so why don't you tell us some more about that good news? Yeah, so um, I uh, lost ownership of VeggieTales way back in 2003, so 16 years ago. Wow. The whole generation of kids has grown up since I uh, yeah. was driving the car with, with Bob and Larry in it. Um, it's since then, VeggieTales has been owned by, I think, four different companies. No because kidding. everything gets bought and sold, yeah, a gazillion times. And I'd kind of given up on it. I'd kind of, you know, the very last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark, when the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> goes into the box. Yes. yes. And then goes into the giant warehouse. And they think, well, that's it. That's yeah. it. <laughs> that was kind of in my mind what had happened to Bob and Larry. Mm-hmm. And they were in the box being wheeled into the giant. And, and uh, because the company that owned uh, VeggieTales was bought by NBC Universal, which is owned by Comcast, which is one of the biggest media companies in the world. And I thought, well, that's the end of that. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Nobody there has time to think about Bob the Tomato (laughs) and Larry the Cucumber and and Christian homeschoolers that love them. Right. So I, (laughs) and then I got a call from the Trinity Broadcast Network, which is the largest religious broadcaster in the world. And they had approached NBC Universal to say, "Hey, are you going to do anything with VeggieTales? And if you're not, could we do something with VeggieTales?" They approached and, them uh, first. You, yes. No yes, kidding. Yeah. And and Universal said, "Well, we won't give them to you or sell them to you, but we'll rent them to you if wow. you want, because <laughs> um, that's how Hollywood works. Yeah. You can rent our stuff, and then we'll still own it." So they pitched doing a TV series with VeggieTales, and they reached out to me. TBNN Universal reached out to me and said, hey, would you help creatively with this new series? And in particular, could you make it feel like VeggieTales used to feel back in the olden days? Because that's the veggies that we like. And I said, you know, I've been hoping that someone might ask me that one of these days. <laughs> yes, I'd be happy to get involved and make VeggieTales feel like it used to feel back in the olden days. So we've been working on it for a year now, uh, producing 18 new episodes that will be for TV that will air on TBN and then also go to streaming platforms and hopefully other places, too. 
Well, as one of those former Homer, ho- Homer, homeschooled, homeschooled, <laughs> also Homer, we weren't, al- no, we weren't allowed to watch Simpsons. Uh, I, I could not be more excited. I did also want to ask you, though, we, we mentioned earlier that you have a podcast that I legitimately think is brilliant. I'm, I'd love to know a little bit about the podcast. What's kind of the vision for it? How is it different from other things you've done in the past? Just kind of let people know that maybe don't have any idea that you have a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's called the Holy Post Podcast. You can find it on iTunes. Uh, I, I host it with a friend of mine, Sky Jatani, who's a pastor and has a seminary degree and also an editor, has been editor of, of a couple of different Christian magazines, a really bright guy. Um, and what we're really trying to do there is help Christians navigate an increasingly post-Christian culture Mm. Uh, where, you know, everything just seems upside down and we don't know what to do with all these issues that come up. And is it, you know, is the church dying? How does the church need to change to adapt? Uh, Sky's a pretty well respected thinker on some of those issues. And I know how to be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, that's the arrangement? That's the arrangement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the arrangement. Oh, that's. And I come up with news stories. That it's sometimes they're just completely bizarre and have nothing to do with anything, but they tickle me. <laughs> I love it. How frustrated I can get, Sky. And then Sky interviews guests. You know, we've had everyone on from you know N.T. Wright to Oz Guinness to uh, Russell Moore, the head of the Southern Baptist yeah. uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, David Kinnaman, the pollster, and and we're just talking about issues. You know, what is going on in the church? Why does it feel like it's such a mess? How is politics infecting uh, evangelical Christianity and, and what can we do about it. So it gets uh, kind of interesting, but it's a whole lot of fun. I, I do just have to say how happy it makes me that there's a podcast somewhere where N.T. Wright is being interviewed and there's a segment called News of the Butt. <laughs> the fact that those would be on the same episode makes me there's, so eternally happy. No, I'm not saying, I'm not, we're not saying there's a connection between. No, right, right, not the same the, segment. That's not what you're saying, right? right not you're at not all, not at all. That. No, big fan of the Anglicans. Yeah, yeah, we did a story, I just, there was a story about like, like uh, bug butts or something. No, it was turtle butts. The first story was about turtle butts. How turtles actually breathe through their butts when they're hibernating in the mud, and I couldn't believe it. It was so wonderful, so I had to share it on the podcast. And then somebody said, "Hey, give us more news of the butt." And said, okay. Somebody said that. That's now, awesome. Awesome. This is my favorite day. <laughs> it's funny how those segments go. Oh, that's funny. Some people say, "Oh, we love the news of the butt," and other people say, "Would you please stop giving us news of the butt?" Yeah, I, go, I can nope. understand that. Uh, I want to ask you also uh, back about Veggie Tales. Is it does it surprise you the staying power that that has had? Like generations, like my my kids still watch it, and as even as they get older, it like harkens them back to when they were younger. And now people I know with younger kids, their kids are still watching it. It must make you proud for the staying power. But does it does it surprise you? Yeah, yeah, it does surprise me, and it's and it it makes me happy and also a little bit sad mm. at the same time. And I'll, I'll explain why. It makes me happy just to think, you know, I thought of something that has stuck in the culture yeah. this long. Hmm. That is so cool, you know, that, I, that I've told these stories and I've worked with other people to tell these stories over the years, and they're just, they're not going away. Yeah. They just keep doing more good. Um, it makes me a little bit sad because in the, in the general market, in the mainstream world, things don't last that long. Because in a few years, someone comes up with something even better. Right. You know, and so p- part of me is looking, it's like it's been 20 years, guys, 25 years 
you know, isn't anyone going to come up with something better? Oh, interesting. Just an audience. Okay. Yeah, so it gets me a little bit discouraged about the state of, of you know just Christian creativity and our ability to really compete uh, with mainstream media. Well, and that's that's a perfect segue because I wanted to ask you this for a while. What? encouragement or hope or challenge would you give because Brian and I are both pastors and so often it feels like the church is way behind the curve when it comes to truly like engaging artists and creatives what challenge or encouragement would you give the people listening that feel like they have this creative energy or spark but they don't they don't know where to put it or they don't know what to do with it like do you have any words of wisdom for them yeah it is so easy to make stuff (laughs) yeah when I when I was a kid and I wanted to make a film I had to borrow my grandfather's Super 8 millimeter film camera and go buy film stock. It was like 20 bucks for three minutes of film. Right. You know, and I'm nine years old, and I had to learn how to run the camera and develop the film and then cut up the film to edit it with a splicer and with tape. Right. And today, I mean, you can make a feature film on your iPhone. Right. It's insane. So if you have a hankering to make something, Make something. Yeah. Uh, most people are getting so far ahead of themselves and saying, yeah, but how will I make money? You know, mm-hmm. How will I make a living? I want to make a living doing this. When, and, and this is what frustrates me a little bit. When people in, in the secular world, when they want to be dancers or they want to be photographers, they move to New York City or they move to L.A. and they work at Starbucks and right. they work as waitresses and they just work on their art you know, without worrying about how they're going to pay the bills or whether Mm. their art will ever pay the bills. And because we've been so committed to the idea of family in the church and you have to be a good provider for your kids and you have to have kids and you have to have a house in the suburbs and they need to have uh, soccer lessons and they need all of the trappings that we can't imagine. How could I be an artist and ever provide the life that I think I'm supposed to provide for my kids. Right. And, you know, and, and the funny thing is we don't say the same thing about missionaries. We don't yeah. say, now, if you become a missionary, how are your kids going to have soccer practice? <laughs> That's <know>? true. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. How are good. you going to have a, a, you know, a three-bedroom house in the suburbs yeah. if you're a missionary in Bangladesh? We don't, for some reason, we respect missions much higher than we respect arts, mm, even though good. they're both outreaches to a world that's hurting. That's so great. Good. Well, Phil, we could just keep going on here, but... Uh, we are so grateful that you've joined us. You can uh, catch up with Phil's work multiple different places. We already talked about the Holy Post podcast. Watch for the uh, new run of VeggieTales that's coming. And most importantly for our conversation today, check out the Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids. You can visit laughandlearnbible.com and learn more about it and find out all the different places you can get it. Phil, we're so thankful. Thank you for taking the time uh, and spending it with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. Yep. Have a great day. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. That music can only mean one thing. We are going to go into interweb insanity. Uh, We are going to read stories uh, from the minds of our producers, uh, PJ and Keith Conrad, they have picked these stories. We have not seen them. Uh, they usually make us laugh, sometimes make us cringe, uh, but we're right there alongside you. Uh, before we're, Ian reads the first one, though, let me tell you about a conference uh, called the Rooted Ministry Conference. Rooted 2019 uh, is taking place in Chicago, October 3rd through the 5th, at Park Community Churches near North Campus. Visit rootedministry.com for tickets to this conference for anyone involved in the discipleship of teens, whether you're a youth pastor, a volunteer, or a parent, go to 
uh, rootedministry.com. Uh, Use the password 1160 for a discount. You go first, sir. Here we go, Florida. Man arrested for swinging samurai sword at another man during a fight over trash. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'm just going to read that again. That's my favorite <laughs> sentence today. Man arrested for swinging samurai sword at another man during a fight over trash. A Florida man has been arrested and charged with attempted murder. Oh, jeez. After swinging a samurai sword at another man during a dispute over trash. I just read that. A Broadway County Sheriff's Office said Curtis Miller, 54, 54. I was not expecting that age. Was caught swinging the sword on home surveillance video July 15th during a fight with another man over a disputed dump cart. Both men had coveted the cart after rummaging through a trash pile outside a vacant house in Oakland Park, Florida. Statements made by police claim that the man swung the sword in the direction of the alleged victim, Todd Beavers. Beavers had arrived at the site after spotting the apparent, the apparently tempting trash pile during an evening jog around the neighborhood. Reach for the sky! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ohio. Woman gets prison for leading officers on chase, hitting cruisers because she was late to work. Uh, Amani Edwards, age 23, was charged with failure to comply and multiple counts of felonious assault. Felonious? Yes. Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Judge. That's a long title. (laughs) Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Judge Michael Shaughnessy. Wow. Sentenced Edwards to four years and nine months in prisons. Her license will be suspended for 15 years and she has to pay $26,000. A state trooper tried to pull her over during rush hour on March 22nd for a window tint. Uh, and a false registration, but she refused to stop, according to patrol. Police said Edwards rammed into two cruisers and a patrol SUV. The chase ended later when she was forced off the road and hit a utility pole. I don't know what you were thinking, the judge said. At a time when law enforcement is under such scrutiny, your lawyer's right. They showed incredible restraint. The incident was captured on dash camera video, which was played in the court. Uh, Newburgh Heights Police said Edwards did this because she claimed she was late for work. Was that wrong? (laughs) Should I not have done that? All right, Germany bottoms up, fires out. German man douses fire with beer. Oh, it's a happy story. A German motorist is being credited. You're already nodding. Did you hear this story? No. Oh, yes, good. A German motorist is being credited for his quick thinking after his engine caught fire on the Autobahn. He turned turned to a slightly different foam extinguisher to douse the flames. Bottles of beer. Police told the DPA news agency Wednesday that the man was on the highway near the town of Hosbach in Bavaria. The day before he went, uh, he smelled something odd. Pulling over, the man spotted flames under the hood of his car, quickly grabbed bottles of beer from a case in the car and quenched the fire. Authorities say the fire department responded, but there was nothing left for them to do. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to <laughs> all of life's problems. That's, that's becoming a regular. And it was a solution. I'm it's true. That that's one. not wrong. Colorado. United Airlines flight diverted to Denver after passenger gets stuck in the bathroom. Oh, no. I saw this on the Today Show today. Uh, United Airlines flight 1554 was flying from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco when it made an unscheduled stop in Denver. Video shot by a fellow t- passenger shows crews trying to get the bathroom door open. We'll get you out soon, okay? A crew member is heard saying to the stuck passenger. The stuck door was eventually opened, and the passenger was able to get out of the bathroom safely. The flight was scheduled to be back in the air two hours later. What kind of plane is it? Oh, it's a big, pretty white plane with red stripes and curtains in the window and wheels, and it looks like a big Tylenol. This is maybe the most repeat drops we've had. Yeah. A, yeah boy, it's Friday. What a way to end it's the Friday. week. <laughs> All right. Australia. Guy who invented Labradoodle 
I released a Frankenstein's monster. Mm. Wow. What's not to like about a Labradoodle? I like Labradoodles. The breed has taken the world by storm since its invention in 1988 and was even considered by the Obamas as a possible choice of first puppy. But the man who invented it all those years ago now calls the move his, quote, life's regret. No. <laughs> Wally Conron. 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 Speaking to Australia's ABC News podcast, some of all parts last week said he opened a Pandora's box and released a Frankenstein's monster. The problem? Unethical, ruthless breeders who only care about big bucks and don't put the dog's health first. Oh, this is going to be sad. sad. I find that the biggest majority of Labradoodles are either crazy or have a hereditary problem. Conron says, plus the world has since been inundated with other oodle breeds. Unscrupulous breeders are crossing poodles with inappropriate dogs simply so that they can say they were the first to do so. Alive! It's alive! It's alive! I mean, that was pretty inevitable, right? Yeah, That's, that was yeah, coming. For sure. A vet and multiple owners insist the Labradoodles are great, so let's end happy right there. Oh, thanks, Brian. Go get your Labradoodle. I just, I just wonder what inappropriate dogs was. <laughs> it's like dogs that are, like, smoking in oh, the boys' room or there something. There you go. Well, it's been a fun Friday. Uh, we hope that you have a great weekend. And join us again on Monday from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.